Good evening, everyone. Welcome to Rose City Politics. It's June 14th. Regular panel includes Doug Sartori and myself, John Lidke. Our guest tonight, Ward 9, Kieran McKenzie, old, old friend of the show. Kieran, it's so good to have you. It is wonderful to be here, actually, live in person. It's been years. We were talking before we started uh, started recording this. It's been years since we've had this moment where the three of us has been uh, have been on the air uh, talking about what uh, what we do on RCP, so looking forward to it. I think the last time for me was in the basement of Bus Ariel's place talking about a weed topic when it was just like the three of us. Oh my goodness, so that's several years ago. Yeah, it's, 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 it's enough years ago that we don't need to add them up. Doug, yeah. so how are you doing? I, I'm doing great, and Kieran has not lost a step. So before the show, I laid out all the equipment and the microphones and whatever, and I, I put two mics out, uh, uh, a liberal red microphone and a yellow microphone, and Kieran like didn't didn't say a word. Just went over, picked up the yellow mic, and away he goes. Color but, palette. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say you could have picked up both and just gone straight with the mixing of the colors. But we are glad to have you here, um, especially with the topics that we're gonna be diving into. Mm-hmm. But first, do support us at Patreon.com/slash. Rose City Politics. Thank you. Now I'm hearing it when other people say it. It makes I, you crazy, doesn't I, I, it? I was an idiot for so long. This is like the, this is my irregardless. <laughs> it's actually a word, by the way. I know it is. I'm, hey, not a word against irregardless, but this is mine. This is the one that makes me crazy. No such thing as forward slash, just the slashes. Mm-hmm. We are in BizX Magazine and on all your favorite social media podcasting apps and Rose City Politics, able to broadcast live on tape, thanks to the kind support of Leuna625 building better communities. Let's just dive into the show talking about the city council and the fate of these advisory committee things. And, you know, I could go through it. We've got all these notes here. But, Kieran, you live this life. Mm-hmm. What's going on? We were, we've been having conversations already about looking at this from the outside point of view. Lots of red flags started going off in the chats that we have and just conversations. And I guess the idea being that council doesn't have the benefit of the doubt a lot of the time anymore because of past actions, because of interactions, because of um, how administration acts. So when we see something like we're going to be restructuring to disband all of our ABCs and we'll dive into is it actually all of the ABCs or are we reading in between the lines a little too much? What is going on and are we, you know, as we regularly are, Doug, sometimes just the assholes in the room? (laughs) And is there a better reading of this? Speak for yourself there, buddy. I think you're included. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, I I appreciate you, uh, you know, inviting me to come on and have the opportunity to speak about this, because I think that there is uh, obviously and for for some of the reasons, John, that you that you kind of touched upon, um, if there's a certain level of distrust in the community about the things that are happening inside the walls of City Hall, I I, I understand that. But in this case, um, this is a process that was, um, in fact, initiated. It's, It's administratively driven. Let's start there. So there's no political agenda that, that I can detect, and I've been on this from, from prior to the, uh, the most recent election, because I knew there were some thoughts around, let's look at different ways that we can improve the governance structure and the advice that we get from the community um, uh, uh, through the committee frameworks that we have. So specifically the advisory committees. So this was a thing that, uh, and an issue that's been sort of working its way through the clerk's office at City Hall um, for, for, for months, maybe, all, maybe over a year, it would be fair to say. And um, I'll say it this way, if there is one thing that I 
am to some extent concerned about is the timeline and the time frame that it's taken for us to get to where we are. Throughout though, I've had discussions with a number of the administrators who are sort of have their fingers in this pie and some of my colleagues as well as uh, even the mayor and, and staff within the mayor's office. I wanted to, I was monitoring this because I wanted to make sure that people understood that I think that there's merit to what is being undertaken. We can improve the way citizens have the opportunity and residents have the opportunity to interact in the policy development process. And the advisory committees is definitely one of the best ways that they could potentially do that. If I was concerned that it was through the time that we've been going through was becoming politicized, um, I, I, you probably would have heard me talking about this well before today. Now, having said it, the issue is going to land in, uh, in a council meeting uh, again, and there's gonna be a strategic planning discussion, which is part of the motion that we passed on Monday. So there still is plenty of opportunity for political shenanigans, what might be a word, but right now I think the process that has been undertaken, the time frame notwithstanding is a good one and has the potential to be really, really positive with respect to transparency, and that discussion that needs to exist and should exist between the residents and uh, the municipal government. So I'm cautiously optimistic. So then would this have been started before the conversations about the BIA restructuring or sort of concurrently and things got out of hand? Like the timing of it all just seems so strange right before an election for it to get this far Such a good point that I think that the the BIA restructuring may have poisoned the well a little bit in terms of public perception here. I, and I agree, and, and, and you know, and, and even the appointments process, you know, and there, there's things that I've done that where I publicly express some of my concerns around how we appoint people to all the committees. So, and just to maybe back up a bit, because some folks might be confused, we have appointed people to a number of boards and commissions already. Those appointments will remain are, are, and are unaffected by this process that we're dealing with right now. We still have yet to appoint people to some of the advisory committees, such as the Windsor Bicycling Committee, the Environment Committee, the Public Transit Advisory Committee, Seniors Advisory Committee. It's all of those committees whose primary function isn't to sort of be the governance body of an organization or a municipal service corporation, but it's to provide policy advice to council. So. We have yet to populate those committees. We have yet to form those committees. What we're going to undertake as a result of the motion that we passed on Monday is we're gonna look at all of the, the current existing framework. We'll discuss the extent to which some of the advisory committees looking at what they did over the previous mandate were effective in what it is that they did uh, and try to gauge to a certain extent the, um, uh, what the community would like to see and would like to have the opportunity to participate in, in terms of the public discussion and the policy development, and bring forward recommendations and enact, actually, a new, let's call it, suite of committees that are going to be able to provide those uh, that type of advice, that, that the, the advisory roles on these different issues. What that's going to look like, um, that's what the strategic planning session that we approved in the, on Monday is going to is going to unpack and decipher. Is there risk? Yep, there's risk. I, I acknowledge that, and I and I for those that have expressed concern, um, because there might not be the the level of trust 
that, uh, that should exist in our community with respect to how the city is governed. I understand that. But I also, you know, trying to look at this in a more positive light, think that there's really good, really, um, there's some good opportunity because I hear in the community uh, p- folks telling me that, you know, you never listen to us. You just do whatever the heck you want. And if we're looking at um, different ways to improve the role that the community has in developing policy, this is one of the things that is an obvious area where if we can make it better, we can make all of that better and hopefully rebuild some of that trust. So we'll, we'll see. So I, I want to just go off on a small tangent here around um, the committees that existed up until um, 2023. Uh, in general, without, without picking on any one um, person or group, uh, you know, do you, can you comment on how effective you think the advisory committees as a whole have been historically? Yeah, I, I think it's a mixed bag, to be, to be perfectly honest. And uh, it's a mixed bag for, for a few different reasons. Number one, the, I think one of the more important things, and this is actually part of what we want to hopefully fix um, as a part of this new structure that we're going to create, is um, the onboarding process and the training that could be made available to people who are coming into these boards um, and have these opportunities to serve the community in this way. And I think, I think it takes a while for anyone to sort of understand their role and understand the opportunities that the role provides to them. And um, it's, uh, and, and that, it, you know, given the fact that most of the advisory committees meet four times a year, if it takes like six or seven meetings to really get what's going on, you're already halfway through the term and a lot of things are well underway. The, the election feels like it's starting to bear down on you and you know maybe that's the end of it, right? So uh, I think that one of the challenges to, to your question, Doug, one of the challenges we have is that we, we, we can do a better job of helping people to understand what happens with the things that they talk about at the table and the motions that they pass when they pass motions, what that actually triggers in terms of process. And I think a lot of times folks who care a lot about an issue, as a, for example, just talking about the effectiveness, they'll come in and they'll have an amazing conversation, an amazing conversation about a, whatever thing is going on in the community. It touches on all these different things, but they, don't, they oftentimes don't land on how to take all of that and turn it into some direction and something that council can think about either following the advice or not. And it turns into a motion to receive you look at the minutes, it's not a whole, from uh, as it goes up through the council chain, there's not a whole lot to do. Even though something really incredible was discussed and even the germ of, of an idea was there. So part of the challenge, I think, is, is training. And then the other piece to it is, I think people really need to, um, that want to serve on these committees, A, you should serve on a committee that you really care about the issue. There's a number of folks and it's not to denigrate somebody's desire to serve the community in whatever capacity, but there's a number of folks who will apply to every single standing committee, every, every, all of the ABCs. And, you know, they may get put on whatever one. And they think they're doing it because if I just apply, I have a better chance of being appointed. And that might actually be true, to be honest. Having said that, that was like me in high school with girls. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly. You know, the number you play the numbers game, right? I'm gonna get at least one. You play the numbers game, but 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 what'll end up what ends up happening with some of those folks? They don't really care about the issue. 
and confused about what to do, don't really care about it all that much, either you stop showing up or you're just checked out during the meetings anyways and you know, you'll know you out the term because you want to maintain the optics of it or whatnot, but you're not really doing making the contribution because at the end of the day, it, it just feels like this isn't what I thought I was signing up for. So I think you know those are a couple of the problems and, and it would be, my hope is that through whatever it is that, you know, the strategic planning session, it's, it's a thing, but I don't know what we're going to do, how that meeting is going to be structured, but certainly those will be some of the issues that I'm going to want to sort of bring forward and, 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 you know, discuss with my colleagues and administration the different ways that we can, we can fix some of those problems because those are some obvious ones. So just to carry on talking about recruitment, um, I, I presume, and I, I looked at the report, but I didn't note this detail. Would there be a striking committee um, meeting to to confirm the appointment of individuals to uh, the advisory committees? Yeah, eventually. Will that be an open meeting? Probably not. Now, having said that, as you might know, uh, as a part of the... Um, uh, well, it was a CQ that I brought forward, so there's going to be a report that's going to come back to council at some point. It'll likely come mid-mandate, and there's uh, around the different ways and different ways uh, other communities appoint people to all of their agencies, boards, and commissions. So at least people on council will be aware that there's a different way to do it. London, for example, does a full um, public process around all of that open council meeting. Other communities do it the way Windsor does in camera. Um, you know, if we wanted to, if that was the show topic, I could give you some good arguments for and against either either one of the systems. Um, uh, but to me, because we already went through a round of appointments under that under that process, I think it's only fair that we would continue to do so until council has direction and has given direction that we want to do it in in whatever way differently. So I'm looking forward to. The, the report to come back from the CQ that I asked because it wasn't just about the different ways we could do appointments but also how do we how do we do a better job in terms of making the appointment process more reflective of the community that we're serving so that's another part of it that'll all come back but since we're already into where, where we are in the in terms of the mandate and we've put a number of folks on boards through a particular process I think we should that just my view of it I think we should continue with the process that we have in place as imperfect as it may be. You know, it's it's interesting. The idea of training, I think, is really important. Just jumping back for a second. When I was on the Mayor's Youth Advisory Committee, because it was brand new, we went over to United Way and we did 16 hours of board training, taught Robert's Rules of Order. We were all also in grade nine, so that makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. But I think that's probably still necessary for a lot of people who get on uh, these advisory committees. But it's what you touched on after you've been trained. A lot of people, I think, sit around the table and they're waiting for direction from administration, from the clerk to say, what is it that you guys want to do? Where it's like, no, that's not their job at all. They're there to support you based off what your priorities are. And I think the idea of teaching people like what the actual role of the advisory committee is, not just running a meeting, is so useful. And it'd be interesting to see that actually implemented. You're 100% right there. There's a lot I I find and I see a lot of deference to administration and elected officials and look I, I, they have um, they have a role to play and they should they you want administration to give you some feedback in terms of what you know the feasibility of certain things but the idea needs to come from the people that are there to 
advise. We want you on these committees because you, presumably at the striking committee level, whether it's in camera or in public, someone's going to get appointed to, as a for example, the, um, uh, the City of Windsor Bicycle, Bicycle Advisory Committee because they have an interest in cycling and they've had a demonstrated uh, um, uh, involvement in that community, advocacy around the issue. And, um, and we think, it's our hope, that they're gonna, quote, bring something to the table to help us improve from, a perspective, from that perspective, or at least bring those ideas and the things that we could or should be considering doing, bring them into the council d debate. And, you know, the other thing about it uh, that I think is um, that, that, you know, people should think about, you should be prepared to win some and lose some too. And, you know, you're going to make some recommendations that um, council won't act on them for, what, for any number of reasons. And council will get it wrong sometimes, get it right, whatever it might be. There's a, there's, there's a number of diff other and larger concerns that, you know, that may affect why a particular thing isn't going to move forward at a particular time. So, you know, being comfortable with proposing, but not always getting, is is I think part of part of the training. I think also a part that that's just uh, you know human beings don't don't really enjoy losing all that much or feeling like they lost. So that's a that's another piece to it, where just understanding that not everything that you're going to do or going to propose is going to be fully acted upon and being comfortable with that. What's the most glaring omission? on the roster of advisory committees. What would the, like, what one thing that you have not been advised by the community on through committee structure do you think is a glaring omission and really is needed? That's a good question. Um, you know, so if I think about that, if I, just reflecting on that question, what I, what I would, what I think would, um, serve the community much much better from the advisory committee at the advisory committee level is a um, it's almost like a strong a stronger understanding and the things that uh, so on whatever whatever thing you're there to advise us on um, really understand where the city is at and what's missing is is the idea of being able to propose to propose something and to bring something forward that's within the scope and the universe of actually what's achievable versus this good idea that you might have heard from your best friend or whatever it might be through any of the sort of anecdotal interactions you might have had with with people in your lives and it's it's imp I don't want to suggest that we need to inundate people with information uh, you know all of these different master plans but I think it would be useful and more useful in terms of what comes from the advisory committees if that was I don't want to say like perfectly aligned with the, what the city's doing but more closely aligned with like the universe of what's of what's the different choices that could be made by a particular council and that though the advisory committee is looking within that that framework and making recommendations that um, that sort of that pushes to do things and prioritize things that we're going to do uh, but maybe to put a stronger emphasis on that. And I think that, that go, it goes back to the training where we just don't spend enough time with the folks when they're coming in to help them to understand not just A, the structure of these committees and what they do, but then there's, also, there's the whole policy environment that it's, that it's sitting within that 
that's an entire new and different universe that it would be, I think we would be much better served if people understood this is where we are, but the, and this is how it works. Two different sort of streams. And, and in, uh, uh, in the discussion, um, there was the concept of, of um, short-term or single-purpose um, advisory bodies yep. that would be different from a four-year um, advisory committee. How valuable do you think it would be um, to be able to stand up a committee on a specific issue or a, a specific subtopic um, in, in the future? Extremely. And we already do some of that. Um, there are uh, tasks for, task forces, if you will, uh, or, or temporary advisory committees. Um, and I think there's a, there's, a, there's a, at least in my mind, there's a, there's a nuance between the two, those two things. But the idea of having um, a, uh, a group of citizens brought together to think about a discrete but temporary issue, the, you know, just thinking about my own ward, as a, for example, and um, started talking about this a little bit, but, uh, um, you know, I don't know if it's an announcement here on Rose City Politics, but it's an idea that I've been kicking around, and the, it certainly came to mind when I was sort of reading the section on task forces, the development of the Sandwich Southlands, as a, for example. To me, that screams task force. Uh, there are a number of committees that are in groups that are where our administration is heavily involved, especially the engineers. There's a Sandwich South Master Servicing Study and a different a number of different other, um, uh, let's call it admin, primarily administratively driven organizations that are looking at this that have some public interaction. But to me, you know, that's this is an issue that is um, uh, is going to be relevant for a certain. Uh, more relevant for a, a discrete period of time, and I think that there would be a lot of value in that particular issue for us to have um, uh, working more directly with the community about, because this is going to be the most important development project that is going to have writ large over the next 20 to 25 years in our community. Making sure that the community has the opportunity to be directly um, uh, engaged on, on that issue and on others. I, I, use, I use the Sandwich Southlands as an example because it, it is really specific to my ward, but I think that there would be a number of other issues as well that we could, that we could think about in that same context. And if we're really wanting to get it right from that um, uh, policy development standpoint, and when the time allows, we could, we, we could definitely consider the task force option across a number of different things. So in the same vein then, as how task forces would be short-term under this all of the uh, advisory committees would be just for that term of four years. Then there would be a mm -hmm. new mandate by council to decide what they want to do moving forward. Why do you think that is important to have it completely disbanded to reestablish itself? Yeah, and, and you know, I, I, I recognize that the, I, I'm not sure if the term disbanded is actually in the report, and, but I, you know, I saw that, that word's being, being punted around, and I think that the word itself creates a bit of a specter. How about obliterated? <laughs> Even better. <laughs> Even better. But I guess uh, the concept behind it, and, and I think this actually follows a basic democratic principle. If you have a new council that's elected, whether there's some folks that are returning uh, uh, or there's new people that, that are now sitting at that table, that in and of itself is a democratic expression. In fact, you could argue it's the ultimate democratic expression. All of those individuals would have ran on certain issues, things that they wanted to achieve in the community. 
So to me, if you have a new group coming in that ran on new issues, different than the issues from the previous election and the one before that, why not, given that that, that authority has been invested in those individuals through the electoral process, give them the opportunity to create an advisory committee structure that is aligned with the things that they chose to ran on and that the community through them ultimately supported. Now, I think through that process, you'd very likely get maybe not a an exact replication of some of the advisory committees that exist uh, that current that that currently exist or existed in previous mandates but you get something close to it and there might be some tweaking within that or some consolidation of a few issues potentially into a into a larger issue or a larger advisory committee and you might or you might get something entirely new um, but you know I don't think it's it's fair to say whatever was is no longer going to be What's going to happen is, is there'll be discussion about what was, what worked, what didn't work, what can we improve, and um, uh, you know I think you'd probably see some committees come back, some potentially consolidated, maybe some rolled up, uh, and then a, a number of them, you know, with the mandate and the terms of reference revisited and, and perhaps tweaked to some extent. I can be sold on that idea that like it, hearing it through that lens is a lot better than obliterated because of political forces. But, and that's, but to go back to our original discussion, there's risk involved. Yeah. Because, you know. We could end up losing some advisory committees. If six people decide that there's this, certain things need to go away and other things need to come back, you know, but we're not there yet. And I get that there's this issue of trust. Um, I'm prepared to do the work to try to to do the things that uh, the, to create those structures to improve these structures to improve the governance. I really I really think improved governance leads to much better outcomes. We have an opportunity to improve our outcomes for the community overall through what's the exercise that we're going to go through. And uh, you know I'm going to be optimistic that we're going to land in a good spot. So I want to pick up on that and and. Uh, um I certainly, uh, I hope you're right, and I think that, uh, you know, in your position, um, I don't see what alternative you have, but cautious optimism and taking that approach. Um, but I, I, I'm struck by, in this conversation, you know, we're talking a lot about trust, and it's, it's, um, it's kind of a given in this discussion that um, there has been an erosion of trust and confidence um, in the operations of municipal governance in Windsor. And this is something that we talked about in recent weeks. Uh, and I'm not, I'm not asking you to respond to this, Kieran, um, but, but it, it strikes me that there is a lot of danger um, in letting trust slip away and in doing the things that may be expedient today and get you your political outcome that you want, but um, let's just say serve to uh, increase the perception of a politically compromised administration in Windsor. What happens is that every new idea gets looked at with deep suspicion and it comes preloaded with opposition. Opposition who is going to be desperate to stop it from happening even before they fully understand it because they know they can't trust or they believe they know they can't trust what's going to happen. And I just, I, I think we're going to touch on this a little bit later. Um, I think that this is going to be something that, that comes back. So I just wanted to put that down here because I think that's, you know, to the extent that, um, to the extent that folks in administration or um, elected officials are looking at some of the public comments around this issue and saying to themselves, 
you know, why are people so negative? Why are people so, um, you know, jumping on us before this well-meaning initiative has even moved forward enough to, to the point where they can pass judgment? And all I would say to that is um, that it's, it's, you know, this is a response to stimulus. And it's been, it's been um, I think the evidence for that to create that perception has been in existence for quite some time in Windsor. Well, look, I, I will respond to it. I, I, so, you know, what I'm hearing, you reap what you sow. And I, 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 I recognize that. But here's an, like, so uh, you're reminding me of, we had, a, we had one delegate uh, come, uh, come and speak to the issue, a gentleman by the name of Frank Butler. Uh, Frank is a, an activist in our community. I've known him for many years. And um, he's always comes with strong opinions on whatever issue he tries to he, he wants to um, he wants to be engaged on, and um, I have a lot of respect for Frank. I don't always agree with him, but I but I certainly respect Mr. Butler. Um, he had this really he had an interesting take, and a, and a, and like I said, I, I respect him. Um, he was. Uh, essentially, A, concerned about the time frame for us to bring all this forward, very reasonable. He talked about how, um, yeah, and he served on a number of the advisory committees, including Town and Gown and the um, Windsor-Essex Env- Environmental Advisory Committee and, and probably a few others. Um, and uh, so he's very familiar with, with the, standing, or the advisory committee structure. Uh, he was talking about and, and shared some stories about different folks who had been very engaged and brought issues through the advisory committee process that were either not acted upon, ignored, ignored even at the advisory committee level by, the, by his colleagues, um, and just a range of different concerns. And, but then ultimately landed on, you should, you should not proceed with what's being, what's being proposed and you should keep the existing framework in place. So. It doesn't work, but I know how it doesn't work. Exactly. <laughs> so, but it was it was four and a half. He had five minutes, so it was four and a half minutes about how how bad it is, and then. But I want you to keep it. So, I, you know, I'm listening to Frank, and I'm like, "You're right," except for what you're telling us you want us to do. Um, we should we should address all of the concerns that you've just raised by doing option B as it was presented in the. Uh, you know, option A was do nothing. Option B was what, what we ultimately ended up deciding to do. Well, I mean, and there's the problem. You trust, trust is earned, and there's only so much benefit of the doubt that yeah. can be given out. And some people are just past that point. <laughs> I, right. I love that idea. I'd rather have a broken status quo because I know how mm-hmm. it works and I know how to navigate it. Mm-hmm. I don't know what the next thing will be. And I'm also probably a little tired. Right. Well, I don't want to learn a new method of having to not get something done. The perception <laughs> that change, the, per, <laughs> the perception that change in Windsor will only be for the worse. That is not good. Um, if if you know, and and so your preamble about Mr. Butler, and I don't know the man, but uh, it sounds like you do, and that you really respect him and think a lot of his judgment and a lot of of the amount of effort and time he puts into this stuff, and that's exactly what he said. Mm-hmm. That's exactly what he said. This is busted, but whatever you replace it with will be worse. Yeah. Um, that is something that I hope um, administration and council reflect on. Well, I'm reflecting. <laughs> I can. <laughs> Yeah, I can say that in all honesty. 
Well, let's keep reflecting here. And while advisory committees are in a state of limbo right now as we're trying to figure things out, what is not in a state of limbo is the Operating Budget Review Committee for mm -hmm. the 2024 budget, which has been approved. Now, of course, last year, $2.8 million in savings was found, bringing the property tax rate from 5.23 down to 4.59. Um, and this was brought forward by Fred Francis. Jim Morrison spoke out against it. What was your position on this? I, um, I in fact, asked for the motion to be split. Um, so th that, um, that was part of you know, this whole issue of the advisory committee, um, the, bu council, the budget review committee, I think is what it's called. Um, so I enjoyed that process. Um, there are things that I would want to tweak, and certainly now that it's gonna happen again, I'll, I'll definitely bring those suggestions forward. But that, that item, that agenda item, was the first council engagement on the, budget, on the budget process for 2024, where we essentially tell administration what, at that high level, that 10,000 feet above level, what we want you to, you know, uh, the things we want you to consider as you're developing the budget for us uh, to ultimately, you know, when we, when we get into the budget discussion and ultimately the budget that council will approve. So that, that, that meeting happens every year, and there's always a discussion. The, the clause that always draws the most attention is the clause around, we, we want for administration to search for, it previously was 10% cuts across all uh, operational uh, departments. And um, you know, there might've been a time when that was an appropriate thing to do, uh, for the last number of years, it was my position, and, and uh, you know, I'll, I'll do the, the, the I'll preface my comments with I always respect the decisions of council. My position within it was, and it was the same with uh, previous uh, um, occasions when we had this exact debate, because I said it comes up annually. The idea of asking for administration to actively work towards 10% or even 5% cuts as a um, budget options for us to consider. What that typically becomes is you can close a library, um, you can take a fire engine out of service, you can um, close a park, things that we're never gonna do. We will never do it, and we all know this. So to task administration with the idea of uh, go out and create the rationale for us to do all these cuts that we know we won't do just because we want it there as, I would call it window dressing, um, I don't think is a very fruitful exercise. The budget review committee that we, that we struck last term, um, yes, I think we were successful in being able to reduce the, um, uh, the overall tax levy uh, to folks. We were able to do that because we introduced uh, more risk not that we cut a whole lot, we just introduced more risk into the budget. So we'll see when there's a variance report coming and we'll see if we quote unquote got lucky with that. Um, so there, you know, we may not, we may not have achieved all of the savings that, that were part of that, but we, we, we made a few small cuts, but mostly we, we asked for administration to, to, to build more risk into the budget and we didn't, we didn't essentially um, fund some things with the same sort of cushion that they might otherwise have had in years past. So that's where those savings came from. Uh, the, uh, having said that, th what I thought was useful about it was we had all of the, every single one of the budget items that we were asked to think about and consider, that 300 page document, we literally turned page by page 
And uh, if there were questions, you're not in the pressure of a council meeting. You're not in the pressure of like, oh, it's already been four or five hours. We've been pounding, we've been, you know, pounding our heads against the desk, the wall for so long. Just, you know, some folks get the sense they just want to get out of here. No time pressure. Ask all the questions you want to the appropriate administrator who's sitting right in front of you. And you can really have that good discussion about why a certain thing is being proposed uh, as a, um, something that's being proposed to be added to the budget in terms of a, a new position or whatever it might be, why you want that, or different ways that we could potentially fund it. I think it was excellent from that perspective. I, came in, I walked out of that week of meetings understanding even better the you know a budget and a budget process that I'd gone through that already four times prior to that. So I think it had a lot of value in that respect and I know particularly for the new councillors uh, it had a significant amount of value for them. They were they were very eager to see it come back. But to me that 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 agenda item was about this issue of whether or not we want to ask administration to to bring back those five percent cuts across the board for our consideration. And I voted against that. I asked for the motion to be split. I voted against the, um, uh, that direction that council chose to support to give to admin to build the budget. But I vote, and uh, I asked for the, the part around the committee to be split off so I could basically articulate my support for that aspect of our process. Yeah, what's amazing to me about the, um, whether it's five or 10%, um, is that that's like, that's what you do in a fiscal crisis. And um, I believe that when these uh, measures came in, that was how it was couched. You know, sure. we've got to um, we've got to get to zero. We've got to find savings. We're going to mandate that we're going to trim the fat in departments. To to make that a permanent feature of of these deliberations of the of the um, of the message and the directive to administration year after year after year. There, there, I understand your, your resistance to it because there's an ideological perspective built in that, that there is no minimum. There is no minimum size of government or no appropriate level of service beyond which we should not cut. We should always be looking to find ways to squeeze and squeeze and squeeze and squeeze. And, and I, think that's, I think that's really shitty. Um, a, a really shitty way to look at your budget. Like, obviously, there's always ways to make efficiencies, and there's, mm-hmm. the, you know, dr- getting more value for less money is always a goal for every entity that spends money, and it should be. But, but the idea that um, there's only one direction that's acceptable for us to go, and it's always down, and it's always by a minimum of five and ten percent, and the cuts should be department by department by department. Uh, it's madness. I agree. And um, what I was asking, what I tried to, and, and I tried to find balance in what I was, what I wanted to propose as an alternative. Because sure, we could, we could, we should always be looking for efficiencies. And I'm doing the air quotes thing. Um, but, you know, within that, it's, it's about service levels. And municipalities are in the business of delivering services to people. And one of the things that we have is we have literally volumes of strategic documents, master plans for everything that you can imagine. The budget is the expression of how you deliver on these master plans. And to me, I was, the questions that I was asking was, what's the connection between our budget process and service levels? And the different things that we've already said are the service levels that we, through consultation and study, said that we want to establish in the community. and and and. That's, that, 
you know, you are your budget. And if the if we're telling admin cuts, that's all we're interested in, and we're not talking about service levels at that at that high level, you're going to reap what you sow. They're going to come back with a few things that are probably, and and this is what um, uh, Mr. Mancina, the new CAO, said, is that you know we always look at the master plans, the problem, uh, and that that certainly you know it informs our process. But to me. If this, if this meeting, if that and that item was about council setting the direction for how administration is going to turn its mind to the budget process, not talking about service levels in the context of efficiencies as well as um, uh, enhancements and just focusing on cuts, you're going to get what you're going to get. How much of it is that we're not implementing the master plans at the rate that I think you know a lot of people would want? As you said, they're sitting on shelves, they're collecting dust. How much of it is because we're waiting for the federal government or the provincial government to just come and solve all the problems? Whether it's disaster mitigation funding or we're gonna, the feds will pay for the garage for the transit Windsor. Is it always just pushing things down the line so we can only do ad hoc year by year because we know we're never actually going to fund it? We're never actually going to do the big thing. It's too much money. It's not palatable even though we all say we want it. So, I, you know, I, I would take exception to the collecting dust comment. Um, we're, we definitely are looking for support for a lot of things. DMAF is a, uh, a, a, certainly a, an interesting debate that's still ongoing. Um, I, I just plucked that. I know you did. I know you did. Um, but I guess, what I'm, I guess what I'm saying is there's, we are doing some of the implementation. We're doing some of the hard work. But, yeah. We are definitely looking for those opportunities where there could be partnerships and whatnot. And um, uh, it, uh, it sometimes is frustrating because perhaps there is an over-reliance on that. And, and certainly, and um, I hear it a lot from folks in the community and then even, even folks of, uh, maybe newer to the council table that there is the expect, ex- expectation that senior levels of government are going to come in and save the day. They're going to partner with you on some things, but that's not what they're going to do. Um, Your priorities and their priorities may not always align, for one. Um, The things that are really important for you to deal with in in your community may not be fully on the radar of whatever level of government you think should be helping you. And that means you have your own, you sort of have to manage your own affairs. And I think that there does need to be a, uh, um, a recognition that, you know, a stronger recognition, because I don't think this is across the board, but a stronger recognition. But sometimes we got to bite the bullet, yeah. and 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 do it our do it ourselves. Now that means, frankly, making some hard decisions because if you decide that you're going to address challenge X and it's not sort of already within that budgeted universe, you got two options: increase taxes. The appetite for that is low. All around the council table and in the community or cut either investments or services. The appetite for that is also low, by the way. But, you know, you're not, there's, there's no getting the blood from the proverbial stone. So if you're going to make some of those, those hard choices around, in terms of how you're going to implement these master plans, because a lot of them, some of them are, are couched in this sort of, um, uh, this universe of economic development where if you make these investments, you will start to see returns down the line. Well, that means you gotta you gotta fund it initially. So again, where you find that money, 
There's the other option, the third one, um, again, very low appetite in the community and that's borrowing. And uh, there's certain things that make, it makes a lot of sense for a municipality to leverage um, various um, financial instruments, if you will. And there's others that it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And, and you know, uh, every day that goes by and all the conversations that I have the opportunity to have, I, I, I think I'm, I'm getting increasingly comfortable understanding where, what the difference between those things are. But also, it's all part of um, the community discussions, what we collectively identify as priorities. And uh, um, uh, I just lost my train of thought. <laughs> Sorry, buddy. <laughs> I don't know what's happening. we there. Well, you know, yeah. I, we've been chatting about this a lot on the show and also in our private chats that we have. If we are going to be sitting here waiting for, you know, the federal government and the provincial government to show up and, you know, solve all of our problems... Yeah, I don't think that day is coming soon. They just wrote billions that are expected for Stellantis. I we've got, we've got the one, and yeah. I don't want to talk negatively about what that's going to do. That's those conversations are for other times. But what are you sure? Because we got Kieran here. We do. But <laughs> really, I would love to have that conversation. Look, I, I, I agree with John. Because the money the could Windsor, be spent on the a Windsor lot of other check, things. The Windsor check. There's a they wrote, There's been a big Windsor check written. Yeah. So, and I can assure you that that does not go unnoticed in those other legislatures by members who live in regions not in southwestern Ontario and represent. So, you know, and, and by the way, I remember the same discussion, by the way, happening when there was a major investment in the, um, uh, the shipbuilding industry out east a number of years ago. Billions of dollars, um, Quebec and uh, Nova Scotia. And what I was hearing in Ontario, where's ours, right? Well, we got ours, was, you know, and, and so, and we'll see with DMAF. And believe me, people, uh, the, uh, people across the country are looking at DMAF money and they're saying, okay, Windsor, you got 30 million. Like, that's pretty good. You didn't have that 30 million before. So, sure, one of the challenges is, we got to spend that 30 million on projects that are going to run a whole lot more and now we're in for more than we thought and you get into those discussions about what do we do to fund projects that we don't have the money for currently budgeted that's that's a big challenge i know you want to move away from this topic john no ask him the hard question no Grill I, him. I want you to read the morrison quote oh, i really <laughs> want you to read the morrison quote okay so ward 10 jim morrison voted against this and said he doesn't like the process we spent four and a half days we didn't come up with hardly anything. And then when we had the actual budget meeting, there was already people who had things ready to go to cut and make changes and everything, but I never heard it during those four and a half days. So I don't like that process. Yeah, I, I love this quote. And not just because you can, you can hear, this is the authentic voice of Jim Morrison, which I, I love to hear and I love to hear him exp- <laughs> For real, I love to hear him expressing himself very frankly like this. You're hearing a managerial banker going, what the hell is going on what's inside the, this place? What's the point? What is the point of these meetings if people are going to keep cards because they know they don't need to bring it up in this process and they can flip those cards later at the budget meeting for maximum political effect? He's, like, he's raising a point that makes sense to me. No doubt. It's a good point. I'm glad he said it. Um, and and it, it needed it needs to be said. I don't think that that's you know in my mind uh, a reason to abandon a process that I think can uh, can and does have a lot of value and brings value to the process. At least for me, it brought value. 
Um, but look, politicians going to politic. And that's what that was. And, you know, Jim wasn't wrong to raise it um, because that also is part of the politics. Um, and he's sending a message about like, look, when we get at that table next time, I'll, I'll participate. I don't, you know, I don't support it, but I'm going to respect the decision of council. I'm going to come out and I'm going to be a part of it. And, uh, you know, with that's out there now. What we say and do here at this table, the, the budget review committee, you know, it's, this is your this is your shot at it. And you know, I, I could have I could have been comfortable and understand more understanding uh, of somebody coming with some a little bit more tinkering around the edges. But you know, the proposal to cut the transit ask in half when it wasn't raised at the budget advisory committee level that was that's a little bit rich i don't think i well, don't think that that was something that just sort of dawned on, on yeah, yeah to 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 play devil's advocate uh, you can see why um in the run up to an election someone would downplay or or omit their budget requests and wait to see what the landscape was to try to get the maximum they could if the winds were favorable after the election so you, to your point, politicians going to politic, and I can if you've got a uh, if you've got you know a, a a particular interest in something, and you think that you can maximize, but that's 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 perhaps um, mitigates it in election years. But that's one out of four, mm-hmm. right? That's one out of four. The the other three, those kind of pressures don't exist. There's no reason not to drop the cards on the table. Well, again, n- n- political strategy, right? And um, you know, maybe there's some folks out there who are. Um, playing the short game over a longer period of time, <laughs> right? You know, for me, I think we had a good process. I I would have supported the budget without the the decreases that were that were being proposed because I know where we found those decreases. I'm not sure that they're all gonna they're all gonna stick, if you will. But if we decided to do it a certain way, and there was a you know a, a prevailing view on council. Um, that didn't my my what I went into the budget meetings was to a I believe admin um, the brief the pre-budget consultations I believe admin when they come forward with a recommendation for a new position that they want us to fund there's a really good reason for it I asked I had the opportunity through that process to ask all of the questions that I needed to ask to make sure that I was right in that assumption and if they made the case and if transit saying we need to add a new route coordinator, for example, because we're adding all kinds of new routes. That makes a whole lot of sense to me. Okay, so there's your 60,000 plus benefits, $80,000 a year job approved. Um, uh, so to me, the process worked. Some folks, um, uh, some of my colleagues chose to um, maybe freelance a little bit and continue the political discussion beyond the, uh, the pre-budget consultation meetings and after we landed on certain decisions. You know, the question to whether or not those decisions are binding, it's, it's a fair one. And Jim's comments, yeah, uh, I think he, uh, he captured uh, the sentiment that perhaps more than a few of us around the council table may have felt. I hope he follows that up at budget time. Yeah. Yep. Well, there's one topic we've been wanting to get to for a while now, and it's the hardening of City Hall. And we watched through COVID, um, you know, some harassment that was occurring inside council chambers before the switch to Zoom 
format where there was the hiring of security personnel who came in to oversee council meetings at that time. The beginning of this year, there was the switch to having armed Windsor police officers that were there because there were certain aspects of what the commissioners or whoever the hired security can't do that law enforcement's able to do. And we just had in the county council in Essex um, a pretty incredible show of interest in municipal politics when 450 people came out to protest 15-minute cities. And without going into that topic, it seems like there has been a snowballing of different munis in the area that are implementing some of these policies. We saw most recently at City Council here in Windsor um, an interaction with a gentleman who was being disruptive throughout the City Council meeting, asked to leave through an interaction with Windsor Police, ended up falling on the ground, resulting in a 30-minute uh, recess and Councillor Mark McKenzie um, asking for a policy to prohibit frivolous, vexatious, or unreasonable behavior. He also wants people to have to go through security screenings and sign into buildings. He also wants to prohibit any weapons and air horns. And he says that when you, councillors, start getting the threatening things and people bringing certain items into City Hall, that's when it escalates. Full stop right there. What are we talking about? Like, are we talking a megaphone or are we talking like a baton? Like... He's making clear people have been bringing things in. Yeah, so um, I haven't noted anyone in the council chamber with any devices um, that uh, have been disruptive. There have been some disruptive behaviors. To me, that's where I think it's, uh, and again, in the spirit of like, you know, having a public discussion about what's appropriate from a decorum standpoint in the council chamber, I, I think there's value in that. Uh, having, you know, hearing from the community about what, because the council chamber at the end of the day, um, there's people who sit in those chairs, but it belongs to the community. So let's, let's have that discussion about how when we're actually in the act of governing, what we expect to be able to happen in that, in that space and in that time. Um, I... No, and I don't know what the I know I know what my experience is. I don't feel in danger in the council chamber. Uh, I didn't before. I don't now. Um, are there other folks who's maybe having who are perhaps having a different experience? I, I'm not 100% sure about what specifically some folks might be going through, um, but I know that there's um, you know. A few folks who not only elected but on the administrative side as well that uh, that have some concerns about the safety of everybody in that chamber so to me um, I think it's worth it's it's worth having the discussion about what we're comfortable with um, what our expectations are uh, as a community in terms of what should happen in that chamber when we are governing and, um, uh, and how we can make sure that everybody's safe. For me, I also happen to think, and this is just at a, you know, a high level without having any of the additional context and specific experience of other people, but I've, I, my, my general feeling is, is in places where things like metal detectors aren't necessary, they in fact sort of breed a different type of a culture and a different kind of a um, experience into the places where they are 
And um, so I, I, I'm certainly concerned about that and when and if the discussion and I have the opportunity to, to have that discussion, I'm going to want to hear why a certain thing might be proposed and whether or not, you know, what, what are the quote unquote risks, both from a way of promoting the greatest degree of public safety, but also the different things that we do in that space to promote the greatest degree of public and authentic engagement. And uh, I think that they are potentially, depending on what we choose and where the scope of the discussion is going to go, it could potentially be at loggerheads. Yeah, it, this is this is a tough one, mm-hmm. um, and I, I I think we're we're pretty closely aligned in our perspective. You know, it, it is absolutely necessary to democracy that public business can be conducted without the threat of violence, um, and and anybody who has a credible concern that violence may occur during that business, and it, that's a big problem. Um, but I don't see it. What I see is people being annoying. And that's, that's part of the feedback um, that, that uh, uh, elected officials and administration need to understand the impact in the community of, of what they're doing and what they're saying and how they're acting. When I read in the media report um, that noted that the, the disruptive person was audibly sighing, I was, you know, I was thinking like, you're damn right people should be allowed to audibly sigh during council meetings. Like that's good feedback. Um, I have rarely seen a public meeting that wasn't improved by a spot of booing here and there. Um, I don't think that I don't think that um, that instant feedback, that unruly instant feedback from the crowd, um, I don't think that's bad at all. Uh, I think that's part of the game. And um, anybody who is elected and sitting around that table um, needs to have a thick enough skin and an understanding that these are the rules of engagement. This is the kind of when you say your thing, somebody might sigh, somebody might boo, somebody might yell, you're a motherfucker and walk out of the building. And all of those things are, are you know, within, within reason, are part of the game and they should be part of the game. What I think is really hard and what, is, what my concern here is, is that what you want to do is you want to, um, you want to try to find a way to minimize um, bad faith disruption. Bad faith disruption does not serve anybody, and it certainly is a tool that is deployed by um, different groups at different times. So how do you discourage bad faith disruption while still enabling the kind of feedback that is essential to the proper functioning of democracy? And I'm, I'm with you, Kieran. I don't think metal detectors help in any way. I think what that does... Metal detectors and and firm rules of decorum and you know everybody's got to wear their Sunday best and they have to be sitting with their hands together and their and their legs crossed or whatever those rules might be. Um, that is that is going to serve to make council look ridiculous in the eyes of the public. Yeah, I, I, and I, again, it's the environment that you create to me. Um, you know, in you know this, I, I think you, you, really good term there that um, that I heard you say the uh, the bad faith disruptions. I think that you know bad faith disruptions, as minimal as they may be, um, because then what the individual is doing there is they're making the whole thing about themselves, right? right? And you know, if there's something that's said or done in the council chambers that really like, like inspires that person to respond to whatever thing that there that that happened, I get that. 
Um, but well, it's the difference between spontaneous reaction of a human being and a YouTuber walking in giggling with the camera. That's exactly it. And so, I mean, whether it's a sigh or whatever other things, there was some, like, I, frankly, the individual, I didn't notice him and I, uh, that we're talking about. He was on the other side, but the, the folks that were on the other side, you know, were telling me. Uh, so it's all third party, you know, the hearsay thing, whatever. But, you know, it was, it was through, it was for a number of different issues and a number of different things that were said, where it was, you know, a lot of different audible responses. To the extent that it's disruptive and prevents us from doing the business, when I say us, the council, and, and uh, probably very minimal impact, slightly distracting and annoying. But the other, con- the other thing to consider within that is all of the people that were there, and there was a lot of people in the gallery that night. That was the night we, deba- uh, we debated the RRL, the rental licensing thing, the housekeeping amendment. But anyway, I don't want to even get into that. Um, but there was a number of people who were in the chamber and this individual was, in my opinion, based on what I heard, not what I saw because I didn't hear him, but what I heard from others is it was it was it was distracting to the other folks that were there. And to me, I think that that's also th- something that needs to be brought into the discussion. Again, the chamber belongs to the people. If they're attending a council meeting because they want to be a part of it, then they should have every, especially if they're there. Like especially, you know, it's if if for someone wants to leave their house and spend their evening watching what happens in the council chamber, I want to make that experience for them as good as it can be. And maybe from time to time, somebody yelling whatever thing that they're going to yell might be part of the entertainment value. But if there's somebody there who's like throughout the whole process just trying to draw attention to themselves, then that has to be dealt with. Is there any way, uh, could you talk to administration, Kieran, and see if there's any way for the council live stream to have those cool emoji reacts <laughs> from the public because I would really like just that. Just the whole like stream is going to... Uh, <laughs> I think we should have that. I think that would add something. Okay. We'll uh, do, I, I, I will make the inquiry thanks. this week. We'll just do, let's just do our own Rosity Politics rebroadcast live of it on With just Facebook. With our emojis live. over it? Yeah, okay. No, I just mean other people can just watch our thing and we'll take the ad value too. We'll sell some ads in between. It's great. We'll put a pause in a commercial. Um, I just, I find it so interesting though how it all escalated so quickly mm-hmm. and out of completely left field. This instance happens, and now we're having conversations about putting metal detectors at the WFCU Center as well. But I guess I, I am glad to see that these hardening measures are being analyzed in at least an equitable level. Because my first concern was if we're just going to be putting security sign ins and pat downs and metal detectors at City Hall but not at the WFCU Center or not at community centers or not at libraries, well, then it's clearly just an issue to try to, you know, stifle dissent. But this will be a wait and see because maybe they come back and say, you know, it's it's not practical to do it at Mm -hmm. any place other than City Hall. And then, you know, that conversation needs to be had further. We've chatted about this last year, Doug, with, you know, racialized minorities in the community have strong aversions to law enforcement often in public politics. And that can be a measure of keeping people from being involved. And of course, that's not what you want. You've made that very clear. Um, so I guess, that, again, it'll be a, a wait and see from this policy. It's just so interesting that for me, Mark McKenzie says, oh, you know, I've been thinking about this for a number of months. It's like, Dude, you've been here like three months. Like, were you thinking about this before you were elected? Or was this something that was handed to you? And you were told, hey, this is the policy you're running with at the beginning. And I'm not putting words into people's mouths. They can just infer what they want. Let's move on to four-year consideration. 
Let's do that. Um, Doug, do you want to print uh, to present Melinda's for your consideration that we were going to do? It's at the bottom there, just in regards to her, um, sure. her complaints, and I think getting Kieran's response would be really useful. Okay, so uh, this is uh, Melinda Monroe's response to a Taylor Campbell tweet, um, which is related to the discussion uh, at council around um, around uh, uh, advisory committees. Melinda tweets, in light of this decision and the mayor's comments, I'm wondering when the two closed meeting complaints about committee appointments will be coming back to council. Perhaps they can revise the policy to make the process completely open when they do. Second tweet, it would be a simple matter of requiring applicants to consent under MFIPA to the process being public and all the info on the applications being fully disclosable. Since they are making decisions that impact taxpayers, that ought to be the bare minimum for your consideration via Melinda. Sure, well, look, um, here's what I'll say. I think that there's pros and cons to, bo- the, to, to the format that we currently have and to having uh, those meetings become completely public. Um, it, uh, and in, in this case in particular, uh, you know, so asking us to go back and make all of that public um, trying to get the consent from all of the people that who may have been there there may have been discussions about them without you know having prior consent where they would have known that that was you know what was their their application and the things that are on their resume and the discussion specifically about them was going to form part of the public discourse I think I think that's problematic frankly Um, having said that going forward I want to explore that. I want to explore the, the whether or not there's an opportunity for maybe a hybrid of some public, some uh, some more public, and uh, some of the discussion that could continue um, uh, through the in-camera process, or if it does need to be uh, made fully public, uh, and what we would need to do from a legal standpoint in order to be able to do all of those things. But um, to try to, quote, retroactively fix this, I'm not sure that... I certainly don't have a whole lot of appetite to to go down that road, uh, and I think it would be a, a really steep challenge to try to get some of the um, authorizations that uh, that are being suggested. And you know, frankly, and then you come back to the question of to what end. And so, if it's going to take um, you know a number of months, maybe a year or two, to find to get to the end of this process, to what? reappoint people in year three of a four-year mandate. I don't know what we achieve. Not that the issues that are being raised within the tweet aren't, uh, and tweets aren't important issues for us to consider. The fix though, I don't think, I'm certainly uh, just thinking it through right now, having just heard this, uh, I don't feel good about supporting. I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I'd have to be, I'd have to be more strongly convinced that it's an appropriate way to proceed. Okay, and uh, I'm sorry for poor production value right here. I wouldn't have had you present Melinda's had I known that you also had added your own to the list. I didn't see it. So, Doug, why don't you go on this one, and then we'll allow for uh, Kieran to wrap things up. This is a fun one. This is in the genre of FYC of um, Doug's weird social media interactions, which, uh, anyway, they amuse the the hell out of me. Um, So today I was having a uh, perfectly normal conversation on Twitter about... um, Toronto mayoral candidate um, uh, Xiao Hua Gong, who has uh, become very notable for the placement of 
many thousands of signs, advertisements, and so on and so forth. Lots of interesting speculation about who the heck this guy is and what he's doing. Um, so I made a perfectly pedestrian observation about the, you know, the utility of this approach as a campaign strategy. And I got a response, um, not from Mr. Gong, but from another Toronto mayoral candidate. And I'm going to read it to you folks verbatim because I think it's, you know, it's, it's, worth, it's worth your consideration. Um, uh, Feng Gao, Toronto mayoral candidate, um, tweeted to me, I've served the residents of Toronto before as the touchy artist. And I'm ready to put down my three pants emojis and do it again as Toronto mayor. And there is a, uh, I think, pornographic um, image attached to that tweet. So there you go, folks. <laughs> I'm convinced. Vote gal. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, th- that tweet's just so weird. Yes. Yes, it's just, it is. It's so weird. I love it to death. I'm so glad that you presented that. I don't have one, but... Kieran, you uh, and I had a pretty interesting conversation earlier today. You were walking in or out of uh, City Hall. You had put together a really interesting program with a grade five class. Yeah, thanks for thanks for opening up that opportunity. I was gonna I was gonna talk about it anyways, whether or not you prompted me. So, but, but thanks for thanks for the lead in. Uh, today, a really amazing thing happened at City Hall. Um, uh, a, a number of months back, a friend of mine from back in my own high school and, and elementary school days. Um, reached out to me. He's a teacher at Saint Therese, uh, Ecole de Saint Therese, uh, out on the East End, and, and he, uh, you know, asked me whether or not I could help facilitate a class visit um, uh, to uh, to City Hall. And I said, Well, yeah, of course I can, I, but you know, I don't know what you're going to come and see. We can bring the kids into the chamber and show them like where we sit, and here's the microphone, and get them get everybody to sit in the mayor's chair and take a turn and do that, and maybe that would have been okay. But I, but I, I said to him, I said, you know, the real what, what's exciting about City Hall is what we do here. It's the governance. So, what if we kind of got the kids into into the chamber, and like, you know, did like kind of a mock council session with them? And he he loved the idea. And at that point, it was just today that we did it. We started the discussion back in April, so there was enough time to put all of the pieces together. And yes, uh, today we hosted fifty three fifth graders from Ecole de Saint Therese. They went through a process over the last number of months where they elected a, a mayor. They elected four city councillors. I sent them uh, an agenda item that we had previously debated at, uh, at the council table, which was the, uh, the Peace Fountain discussion. Within the Peace Fountain discussion, there was three options that we considered. And uh, uh, I, I made sure they didn't know, actually, what we had determined or what we decided to do before. Uh, so uh, it was interesting to see where they landed. But they did the whole thing. They had the delegate there. They, you know, they had people ready to come up and delegate. They had 12 to 15 students come up and delegate. Councillors asked them some questions. I had the Parks Commissioner there as well, Ray Mansour. Thank you, Ray. I also want to thank the clerks, the clerks department, Sandra de Gebauer and Will Foote, who helped to put it together. Security services, IT, Parks Department, as I said. Like, there's a lot of different resources. And even uh, Mayor Drew Dilkins cleared his schedule and did a little mini sort of um, address the students and gave them a little mini civics class before we got in, into our council meeting. But we, we literally debated the Peace Fountain issue through the same process that council undertakes when it debates any issue with all of the, uh, and uh, you know, I, I, was, I was there, I was clerking the meeting, so I was helping the elected mayor, um, you know, work through the process, but he did a wonderful, do- uh, wonderful job. And I think it was a, a really great experience for all of the students. And even, I, I can tell you, like for the rest of the day, I was at City Hall today all day because I was 
gonna come and have this chat with you guys. Uh, so I just stayed downtown and uh, like the whole, all of City Hall was like kind of a buzz with like, oh, did you hear about the students coming? And that was such a great thing. So. So yeah, really great moment, and thanks for giving me the chance to talk nice. about it. Well, so what happened? Did they scrap the peace fountain? Like, what, what, do we keep it? Like, no, what's no, going they on? they wanted to go for the the option option three, which was the uh, um, the arc option, which if you just make it about money, the most expensive investment that we could have made, nineteen point five million dollars. But there was a number of them. This is what I found really interesting from the delegates. The delegates were, and the ones they weren't unanimous, but there was, I think, the majority of them were speaking in favor of the ARC concept. And what I thought was fascinating was their ability to make the connection between making this investment, a substantial investment in, in parks infrastructure, uh, and the economic development opportunity that it represented. It's a tourist attraction. If you build this beautiful arc with the, all of the colors and all of the things, people are gonna come from miles around to see it. Then they're gonna go spend money in all of the restaurants and all of the different things, right? They've, they've been talking to Councilor Agostino, I think. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Listen, it, it fits perfectly in with uh, the new, uh, with, the, with, the, with our celestial beacon. Isn't this typical of those frickin' tax and spend fifth graders? They have yeah. no concept of what yeah. it's like to actually <laughs> run a city. Oh, one, <laughs> la one last thing about it, and we did the whole debate, about 90% of it in French. Oh, so, that's really cool. Yes. So I, I just I need to know. So you have a mayor and you have four councillors. Did the mayor and uh, you know two of the councillors vote to disband the student council inside the actual school <laughs> for the next little while? Or well, uh, th that that was a CQ that one of them brought forward for a subsequent <laughs> report that we'll consider at a later date. Well, that it, that sounds like a lot of fun. I mean, that like you you turned. 54 kids into like absolute nerds today. Absolutely, so we did. good job on that one. My like, pleasure. You're welcome, out, community. Keep them out of sports <laughs> and feed the pipeline into yeah. politics. Well, everyone, this is Rose City Politics, June 14th, regular panel. Doug Sartori, myself, John Lidke, our guest. Thank you so much, Ward Nine. Always a pleasure. Kieran McKenzie, such a good friend of the show. We're in BizX Magazine and Rose City Politics broadcast live on tape continually. Thanks to the kind support of Leuna 625, building better communities.